the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Hi, this is the Word of Stand On for Life. Welcome to the radio show. It is the Friday edition, <laughs> and my name is Pastor Ken. I don't know if you heard what I heard there in the background, but it sounded like Pastor Ron started to talk, and then we had to cut him off. Well, yes. I'm just kidding. No. But my name is Pastor Ken. I'm here to host the show for Pastor Ron, who is not in the office today. For those of you that have been praying, both he and Paula are on the way home. So they're safe, their plane has landed, now they're just stuck in traffic. So today I get to fill in for him on the radio show. I also am teaching tonight. So as usual, let me give you some uh, phone numbers and then we'll get right into some programming notes and into our questions. 210 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. We've got an email address if you want to submit a question that way. And it is questions at calvarysa.com. Again, that's questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app. You can use the KSLR app to call in. Either way, we'd love to hear from you. The whole purpose of our show is to answer your Bible questions, questions about how to put it into practice, uh, what we believe and why we believe it, and the sole purpose is so that we can encourage you in your walk that you would fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's it. I already told you it's Friday. And that means here at Calvary Chapel, it is our New Testament study night. So we're going to take a break from our study in Revelation with Pastor Ron. And uh, he'll be back here on teaching on Sunday. But for tonight, we are going to be in John chapter 1. Such a wonderful passage there. We're going to study the first 18 verses what's often called the prologue, and it is all about Jesus. Okay, well, it looks like we have a phone call already, so we don't want to keep our callers waiting. We've got Caesar on line one from San Antonio. Caesar, you're on the air. Yes, hi, Pastor Ken. I, uh, I have a question for you. Um, I know God commanded, or Yahweh commanded the Israelites to obliterate the Canaanites. And my question that I think about at night is, like, why couldn't, like, any of the Israelites uh, take up any of the, the, the babies, the children, to train them up in their ways versus just a total obliteration of, 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 their, of all of them? Thank you for your uh, response and advice. Okay, great, Caesar. This is a good question, and, and it's one we get often. It has to do with judgment. And so your question about the Canaanites, and there were many other people groups— that God used to carry out judgment on his own people, the Israelites, but also some of these people like the Canaanites, that they'd gone too far 
and God judged them. And this is the answer to your question, Caesar. Uh, People get hurt in judgment. And that would include some people who, like the the babies or the younger children, uh, they would be included also. It, It doesn't mean that each one of these people were sinful, but it means that there's consequences to sin. And that's part of judgment. Now, from a humanistic perspective, we can say things like, well, you know, what about if God would have just saved some and maybe taken the babies and and we could use it for good? And I would turn you to uh, a young man named Achan. Remember what he did? He thought the same thing. And there's another guy named King Saul who thought the same thing. In the Old Testament, First Samuel, I believe it's chapter 13, King Saul uh, decided after being commanded by God to eradicate all the Amalekites, uh, he thought it'd be a good idea to save the livestock. Why? Because, well, the cattle and the sheep were so healthy and so fat, and they would be great sacrifices to the Lord. But that's not what God said. God said, like you said, Caesar, to eradicate them all, and that means don't take any of the plunder. Now, because Saul used his reasoning, and it made sense to him, well, he sinned. And that's when Samuel had to say, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? (laughs) That means you didn't get rid of everything. You didn't do what you were told to do. And and even from a, a human perspective, if we think, you know, there's some of this that can be redeemed and saved and used because it's still good. God said, no, this is my judgment that's being carried out. And that's the same thing with, with Achan. When, when he decided to keep uh, one of the treasures and hide it away, as innocent as it might have sounded, it was it was outright disobedience to the Lord. And because of that, not only did he suffer, but so did his family. And so, Caesar, that's the answer to the question. It's because of judgment. God has to judge evil. And unfortunately, when judgment was carried out, there was lots of people that were hurt. So I hope that helps, Caesar. Thank you for your call. Okay. Let's go right into our questions. I already gave you the phone numbers. The first one is from Anonymous. And it's it says this. I'm trying to understand the Trinity. I don't know if you remember me telling you what I was that I was raised LDS and that my dad's family is Jehovah Witness. So my exposure to religion is just that. And being that we've been going to a Baptist church, my husband's denomination, I'm struggling with the idea of Jesus being God. I don't know anyone to give me a good explanation, so I thought I'd reach out to you. Well, Anonymous, I'm glad that you did. And First, let me say, I'm very sorry. Your experience through life, through different religious communities, is no doubt left you a little confused. All of these groups have uh, different ideas, and especially the Jehovah Witnesses and the the Mormons, they don't have a proper biblical understanding of who Jesus is, and that's going to throw everything off. And so it, it, I'm not surprised that you, you don't understand the Trinity. But here's the second thing about that I'd like to say. The Trinity isn't something that, unfortunately, we can explain with a perfect analogy in our English language. Now, there are ones that come close but what we do know is what the scriptures say, and that's all we can go by. And at a high level, this is how I like to explain it. And Pastor Ron uses the same analogy or uh, the same explanation. It's not one plus one plus one equaling three gods. 
that's the common misunderstanding that people of different religious backgrounds think. They think there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That's three gods. One plus one plus one equals uh, three. So that's three gods. But that's not what the Bible teaches. I like to explain it better as one times one times one. And it still equals one. That's one God. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches. Remember, in the Old Testament, the common prayer, often recited by the Jews, it was memorized from a very young age, and this is what uh, was known as the Hebrew Shema. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And and so we, we, we think about that and we say, um, that's exactly what the Hebrew Shema is. It says, goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that was the common prayer that every Jew would recite and every Jew would know. And here's the interesting thing, because the Trinity, it is not a modern or new concept that's simply introduced in the New Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we have the revelation of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what I'll be teaching about tonight. But even in the Old Testament, there, in the Hebrew Shema, the, the word here for God is actually one that describes a compound unity. So the word for one, the Lord is one, is the word echad which means compound unity, but it's one. It's also the same word used in chapter 2 of Genesis when it talks about Adam and Eve becoming one flesh. It is a compound unity. So it is, it is uh, different parts, but one unit. And it's the word one. It's also the same word or a, a, a derivation of the word in Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning God that's Elohim and that is also one God but in plurality and so it doesn't explain and, and then I would go point you to John chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 that is one of the places Anonymous in the New Testament, among many, many others. But John's gospel particularly, and it's not a coincidence that I'm teaching the first 18 verses tonight, but read the first 18 verses, Anonymous, and pay particular attention to the first two verses. I'll read what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning. What we learn right away is this. This person referred to as the Word is God. And it says that this person, the Word, was with God. That would be God the Father. Later on in this passage, we learn that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And his name is Jesus. So the Bible clearly states that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are three co-eternal, equal but distinct persons of the triune Godhead. Anonymous, I hope that helps. And I'm glad that you're uh, not part of the Jehovah Witness or the, the Mormon faith anymore. I think you mentioned that your husband is going to a Baptist church. Well, that's great if they're teaching the Bible, stay in a place where they're teaching it verse by verse. And that'll help you gain an understanding of God's character and of his nature. Thanks for your question. The next question 
is from Ruben. Why does it seem like every time I'm in prayer, there are certain thoughts that come to my mind? Bad thoughts. Do I need to rebuke those thoughts or bind the enemy from hindering my prayer? Uh, Reuben, no, you don't need to. Um, Let me give you the answer up front. You do not need to rebuke those thoughts and you don't need to bind anybody or anything. In fact, in doing so, the enemy achieves his purpose, which is to take your eyes off of Jesus. When you're praying, don't be surprised when distractions come. Uh, If your phone rings, somebody knocks at your door, or somebody tries to talk to you right when you start, that's what happens. It does. And here in your question, Reuben, you said, there are certain thoughts that come to your mind during prayer. Well, again, don't be surprised. Instead of dwelling on those thoughts or dwelling where those thoughts came from, um, in fact, those thoughts may not even be from the enemy. We have this thing called flesh that is is able to come up with some distracting thoughts on its own without the enemy's assistance. And that's exactly what our flesh does. When we're in prayer, the flesh wants to do something else. And so if there are thoughts that are coming up during prayer, if there are distractions that are coming up, what you need to do is be like the persistent widow that Jesus described and just keep praying. Don't pay attention. Uh, Wednesday night when I was teaching, using uh, Hannah's example out of First Samuel chapter 1, one of the uh, word pictures I kept referencing was uh, are you, like a racehorse. She was like a racehorse with blinders. And that's because To the right and to the left, there are distractions. And even in my thought life, there are distractions. But if my eyes are focused on the prize, on the goal, and and, and I want to be with Jesus and where he's at, then I'm not going to let anything to the left or anything to the right or anything even in my own thoughts distract me from that. I don't have to find out where they're from. I don't have to find out why they came. I don't have to analyze, you know, what did I eat in the last 24 hours or or anything like that. You just pray and keep praying and, and, and make sure when you're praying, you're listening to the Lord. It's a two-way street of communication. So you're not just reading off lists and prayer requests, but you're also being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, listening for God's voice. And at the same time, while you're listening for God's voice, because you have the blinders up, because your mind is set on things above, uh, you, you, your ears will be more sensitive to Jesus' voice than even your own thoughts. So, Reuben, I, I hope that helps. Um, you know, and this is something that I want to encourage you with, that you're not the only one that goes through this. This is something that we all have to deal with. Uh, I know what it feels like. In, instead of asking why, we, we just keep going. In fact, what I often think about is if if the enemy is trying to distract or discourage me in my time of prayer, it probably means I'm doing something right. So I would say the same thing for you, Reuben. The fact that uh, there are thoughts or distractions that are coming up in your prayer time, it probably means because your prayers are fruitful and effective, and that's a good thing. So I hope that helps, Reuben. Let me give you the phone numbers one more time. Phone number is 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. 
340-9585, the toll-free number. If you're out of the area, that's 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. The email address, if you want to submit questions that way, we still have enough time on the show to receive them, is questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. Okay, the next question, also from Anonymous. It looks like we have a few of them today. This uh, other Anonymous question says this. Hello, Pastor. What are your thoughts on Delta 8? It supposedly has no THC, but can help with body aches and pain. Should Christians avoid this as well? Well, Anonymous, I would say yes. I would say yes. Uh, whatever form of drug you take, uh, you know, if it's going to make your or alter your state of consciousness, or, 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 and I wouldn't even say that. If it's going to hinder your ability to be with Jesus, then don't do it. Then don't do it. And I realize that there are prescriptions that 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 people show me all the time. Well, look, and, and, and a prescription doesn't mean that it's okay. It just means that somebody wrote it for you where you can get it legally. But that doesn't mean that's what God wants you to do. In fact, what the scriptures say is this. Whatever that is not of faith, that is sin. And that's from Romans chapter 14, where Paul the Apostle is writing. Don't get caught up in all these rules about should you eat meat or should you do this. And and what he's saying, and what I would say to you, Anonymous, is this. Ask Jesus if this helps you get closer to him. Don't ask the question if this is okay, because that implies that the motive might be, well, let me see how close I can get to the line without crossing over it. As if God only measures sin if the line is crossed. No, he looks at your heart. And if your heart wants to indulge of the flesh as much as possible, but still not cross a line that's figuratively set up in your mind, then it says that your it means that your your heart has already sinned because you're looking for a way to please yourself and still be okay that's not okay peter says in the 5th chapter of his first letter for us to be sober minded and to be watchful then he says this because your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's scary. I don't want to be devoured. And if I give in to my flesh, if you give in to your flesh, Anonymous, because it's legal or because a court has passed a law or because somebody wrote a prescription, whatever it may be, you know your body. And if you're not sober-minded, then you're in danger. And so be vigilant, another translation would say. That's because we have an enemy that is looking for weaknesses. It's looking for chinks in our armor. And that's exactly what mind-altering drugs and, and abuse of medications will do for a momentary pleasure, just just a temporary pleasing of the flesh, what you do is, is open up the door for the enemy to mess with you. There's, there's a reason why the Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia. That's because it, the Bible implies that there is a, a direct correlation between uh, you know, witchcraft and all of the evil spiritual things that are going on and, and that of drugs. 
And believe me, I'm speaking from experience, from a, a, a past, from a long past. So don't do it. Don't do it. Don't even consider it. And you can go and find, uh, you know, some of the, the medical journals and some of the writings that might make it sound like it's okay. And you might even print out a piece of paper to show somebody that it's okay. But you and your heart already know that it's not. So don't do it. Anonymous, I, I hope that helps because uh, what you want to do is, I'm thinking of Romans chapter 6, verse 13. We want to use our bodies as instruments of righteousness. So, not, and in fact, Paul says, use your bodies as instruments of righteousness as those who have been brought back from the dead. I want to use my body to please the Lord, to serve the Lord. Welcome back to the second half of the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I am filling in for my pastor on this show. Today is the last day I'm filling in, so he will return here on the air with you on Monday, 4 o'clock, as usual. If you're just tuning in, which I know some of you do on your way home from work, uh, Pastor Ron and Paula were were out of town for uh, a memorial of a dear friend who'd passed away, and they are back in town uh, they are home and resting. And so tonight, uh, Pastor Ron will not be teaching. I will be filling in for him also here at Calvary Chapel. It is our New Testament study night. So we'll be taking a break from Revelation just tonight. And we'll be in John chapter 1, studying the first 18 verses, one of my favorite scriptures. But for today, the second half of the show will continue as usual. So let me give you the questions. I'm sorry, the, the, the number, so you can call in for your questions. <laughs> 210 340 9585. 210 340 at com. A quick note, I don't know if you were listening in the first half towards the end. We had some technical difficulties, so I apologize for that. Um, but it seems like we've got it all figured out. And it's definitely me today, not Pastor Ron. So in the background, uh, <laughs> his voice started to play. It's funny, me and the producer are here laughing on our side because... Like right before the show, we had Pastor on on the on the phone. We were just saying hi, making sure he landed okay, and then, and we started to wonder: Did we hang up the phone? Is he still here? <laughs> we're fine. Everything's working great, and we don't anticipate any more issues. But thank you for your patience. Okay, let's go back to the questions that have been submitted. Uh, this one comes via email, and again, this one's from anonymous. And this one says, why doesn't God just miraculously heal healing or heal my daughter's brain disorder? Why wouldn't that make so many people uh, quickly get saved? Well, Anonymous, my heart goes out to you. The short answer to your question is, I don't know why. I don't know why. We, we don't have answers as to why some people are healed and why some aren't. We know that healing, physical healing, is like you said, Anonymous, it's miraculous. It's a miracle. And so that means it's not a common occurrence. But sometimes God will heal. Now, the specific answer to your question, which is why doesn't, well, Again, uh, we don't know, but what we do want to lean on is that which we know to be true. And that's this, that Jesus loves you, Anonymous. He loves your daughter. And even in her physical state, 
God can speak to her heart. See, God isn't limited to, uh, you know, the, the audible. He doesn't, he isn't limited to a certain language. But because God looks at the heart, he speaks to the heart. And, and what you need to do, Anonymous, is, is pray, keep praying, and don't stop praying for a healing, for the miraculous healing. And yes, it's no guarantee that it'll happen. But still, you want to make sure that your heart is right and, and that you're able to be used by God to minister to your daughter, even in her current state. Also be praying that your daughter would be able to hear from the Lord. And the second question that you have, why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't you do that so that people would get saved? Well, again, this is a question we don't have a direct answer to. But we do know that God desires for no one to perish and he wants for all men to be saved, that Peter would write. And yes, we can see a scenario where a miraculous healing would be, you know, publicized and televised and, 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 and even just the story itself would be a testimony among those that witnessed it, those in the, the medical staff and family and friends of the person that was healed. And, and sometimes, again, that is the case, very rarely, but sometimes that is the case. But why? We don't know. So instead of dwelling on the why, Dwell on who, and that's Jesus. You make sure that there's nothing more important, there's nothing closer to your heart than Jesus, not even your daughter, because in order for you to effectively minister to your daughter, you have to be closer to Jesus than you are to your daughter. Because your, your, your daughter doesn't need a mom or a dad, in this case, who would do anything and everything for a miracle. I mean, that's how we feel as parents. But what you want is to be so close to Jesus that should the Lord do a miracle, you'll be right there to direct everyone's attention to Jesus? Or should he not do, the, do anything and, and everything continues as it is currently? You'll still be right there to direct everyone to Jesus. Because God can be glorified in the miraculous, for sure. But I would submit this to you, Anonymous. God surely can be glorified without the miraculous, without the healing. When, when people see Christians who persevere in difficult circumstances, that's contagious. When people see um, people who are suffering, when they see Christians who are in pain but still are able to worship the Lord, are still able to uh, praise the Lord in the middle of their despair, and they show that their hope is in a person, not in the circumstances. That's contagious, Anonymous. So I'll be praying that your daughter's brain disorder does get healed, as you should continue to pray also. But also be praying that in the meantime, till something happens, that you're right there, so close to Jesus, that you're ministering to your daughter, reading her the Bible, uh, praying for her and then watching what God does. Uh, my heart goes out to you, Anonymous. Thank you for your question. The next one is from Oh, next question is from a call-in question. So this one was called into the radio studio Anonymous. I would like to know if it is okay for me to address someone as rabbi. <laughs> well, well, if you are 
a person who is uh, Jewish orthodoxy and you're speaking to someone who has an official religious title within that religion, I can imagine it being appropriate. But uh, outside of that context, I, I, as Christians particularly, I don't see how uh, it would be beneficial. I mean, the title means teacher, and so, and it's in the Jewish language, so it's it's not out of. Well, I would say it is out of ordinary because it's unless you speak Jewish, but I don't think it's particularly. Uh, pejorative or it's nothing wrong with it. I would just say it's uncommon. I would use the language that you normally speak in. How about that? <laughs> just use the language that you normally speak in and you call somebody teacher. Or if you speak in Jewish language and you call somebody a rabbi, then that's great too. Jesus was called rabbi because he was their teacher. Now to limit they, what they did though when they were speaking to Jesus is they were limiting him. And so that's a different context. But the title simply means teacher. And if you want to call somebody that, sure. <laughs> I have a a friend here who at the church calls me rabbi from time to time. And uh, I just laugh. And I think he does it as a joke. He, he grew up in a Jewish home. And so he does it in a loving way. <laughs> Thanks for your question. Our next question comes from Eileen. Eileen says, If the wrath of God was to be satisfied when Jesus took on the sins of the world, why then is the wrath of God in Revelation for those people? Well, Eileen Really simple answer to your question. In Revelation, what we see is exactly what you point out. The wrath of God being poured out to an unbelieving world. Remember, in the time of Revelation, actually from chapter 4 on to the very end, you're dealing with the, the, the church that's gone. So you're dealing with a world that has all of the Christians already caught up in the rapture to be with Jesus in heaven. And the people that are left are the ones that are going to suffer through the tribulation or the wrath of God. Now, during that time, there will be some that get saved. But because they place their faith in Christ at a later time, that means that they're going to have to suffer. But still, they will achieve the goal of their salvation and they will end up giving up their lives. Many of them will. But for those of us who are believers today, we won't be there. And so when the wrath of God is being poured out in Revelation, the people that are suffering, none of those people were part of the church, at least at the time the rapture took place. So this is what Paul would write, just to be absolutely clear. When he wrote to the Thessalonians in the fifth chapter of the first letter, he said, God did, for God did not appoint us, that would be believers, to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. And if you think about it logically, Eileen, we can't suffer God's wrath because that would mean that the penalty that Jesus paid on the cross thousands of years ago was not sufficient to satisfy God's righteous requirements. But we know that's true. Hebrews tells us that the righteous requirements of God could not be fulfilled by the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. It had to be the perfect Lamb of God, and that would be Jesus, who would take away the sin of the world. And so the wrath of God was completely satisfied. But, believe, but people today have a choice. Either you put your faith in Christ 
and what he did on the cross. And what you're saying effectively is this. Instead of trying to earn the righteousness of God myself, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus so that he would give me his righteousness. That's one option. The other option for those that reject that offer of salvation is to earn it yourself. And there is not a single person that's going to be successful. It's sort of like trying to you know, swim around the world and you're, you're starting there at the Pacific Ocean and, and you think you've made some progress because uh, you've gone a dis- some distance. But the requirement is perfection. And there's just no way you're going to meet perfection because none of us are perfect apart from Jesus Christ. And so the wrath of God, yes, it was satisfied when Jesus took on the sin of the world at the cross. But those that are suffering through the wrath of God in Revelation are the people that rejected the cross. And therefore they have to deal with judgment. Eileen, I hope that helps. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Daniel on line one from San Antonio. Daniel, you're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ken. Uh, We just wanted to ask you a question. I was reading in uh, 1 John, and I've read it a couple of times, and it's just been in the back of my head. And I think I know the answer, but I just wanted a clarification it says in First John three eleven. It says, "For this is a message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another." Now, I know Jesus said a new commandment I give to you, and He said, you know, to love one another. So, is He talking from that beginning, or is He talking about like back in the Old Testament? Uh, and great question, great question, Daniel. It's good to hear from you. So, yes, the answer is, oh, I'm sorry, Daniel, were you still talking? Okay. No, okay. I just said that. So okay. So the answer to your question is that when, G, when here when John is saying, let me read the verse. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then here's the key in the next verse. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. So that reference to Genesis means that the beginning probably points to from the beginning of time. Now, realistically, it it also applies to, or practically applies to, the beginning of their ministry when they would hear Jesus and the very words that he would share with them was to love one another. But what Jesus was doing is saying the same thing that the Old Testament was saying but he was explaining to them what it actually looked like. So yes, the answer is probably a reference back to the very beginning, but because they didn't understand it, Jesus would explain it and, and through his ministry. I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, because that was, or in a sense, that was originally God's will since before he created the world, right? That we should be absolutely in, in love, that, I mean, this that we would love one another, right? That's absolutely right. And you remember, God operates outside of time and space. And so um, he already knew each one of us before the foundations of the earth. And, and by knowing us, he already knew who we were what we do, and he already loved us. And that commandment of love from the very beginning is to copy the example that God set for us. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, Daniel. It's really good to hear from you. Thanks for your call. Goodbye. All right. Let's go back to our questions that have been submitted. I do have a few more minutes. I'm going to give you the phone numbers in case you want to call. Thank you, Daniel, for your call. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. And the toll-free number is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. 
questions at calvarysa.com. That is the email address if you want to submit questions that way. Okay, here's another question from an anonymous person. As an unbeliever, my friend made a decision to be artificially inseminated. She was single and wanted to have a baby out of wedlock. She then became a believer and wondered if she had sinned in taking matters into her own hands because she doesn't want to be married but wanted to be a mother. Well, the first thing I would say, Anonymous, is this. Don't look back. Tell your friend not to look back. You walk with Jesus now. Hypotheticals, and these are like what-if scenarios that we like to play in our mind. These types of hypotheticals never help you grow because you're always looking backwards. Instead, fix your eyes on Jesus now and don't worry about what happened in the past. The hypotheticals would, you know, you've got a bunch of rabbit trails in your mind that what if I would have done this or what if I would have done that and I wonder how it would have turned out. And all the while we're doing that, we can't hear from Jesus. So don't look back. Yesterday, May and I were actually talking about this. One of the verses that her and I were discussing was in Philippians chapter 3 and Paul said forgetting what is behind straining toward what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward and that's what you have to do so tell your friend doesn't matter what she did in the past and Praise the Lord that she has a baby now. Now raise that baby with Jesus. That's all she needs to do. So thank you for your question. Uh, let's go on to the next question from Layla. I think I am being called to teach the Bible. I do understand I cannot be a pastor because I'm a woman, but... Is it okay or permitted for me to teach the Bible verse by verse to kids or adults in a church setting? Layla, it's great. It's fine. In fact, you should be doing it. Not only would it be permitted, I would encourage you to use the gift that God has given you. Read Ephesians chapter 4. And, and what you'll learn, Layla, is that every single one of us have been given a spiritual gift— not for us to just enjoy for ourselves, but the purpose of that gift is for the edification of the body. So use the gift. If you've got the gift of teaching, God bless you. We need more people with the gift of teaching because we want the Bible to be taught. And you're not going, you're right, you're not going to be a pastor and you're not going to teach uh, from a position of authority and the in front of the church but you could definitely teach in different environments our women's bible study is is filled with women who have the gift of teaching and they they take turns using that gift to build up other women i promise you there are women that will be blessed by your gift kids too Yes, use your gift. Here at Calvary Chapel, we have a thriving children's ministry. And the reason why it's thriving is because we teach them the Bible at their level. We don't use uh, uh, other programs or other methodologies. Uh, if you've heard Pastor Ron talk about it, we, we, we don't have the beanbags and the, and the playstations that some other churches use to kind of keep the kids occupied. What we want them to do is listen to the Word of God so that God can speak to their hearts. There are kids that are hurting just like there are adults that are hurting. And we want them to hear from the Holy Spirit, and that only comes through the teaching of His Word. So, Layla, God bless you. If you haven't told your pastor or somebody at your church, then you need to. And it doesn't mean you'll have a position or you'll have a responsibility right away. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And that means those who are in ministry. God has entrusted them with the people that he loves. And if it's to teach the Bible, then read, 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 study, study, study. Let your church leadership know and then pray. In the meantime, just be available. So God bless you for that. And what an awesome thing. Um, I love here receiving applications for people that are applying to serve in children's ministry because it means that their hearts are excited to be used and to teach the Bible to kids. And that's how a healthy and vibrant church operates. So a reminder tonight, I'll be teaching for Pastor Ron out of John chapter 1. If you are going to a different church, don't forget to go to church on Sunday here at Calvary Chapel. Pastor Ron will be teaching as usual. Don't forget on Monday also, Pastor Ron will be back on the radio show here at 4 o'clock. So God bless you. Have a good weekend. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.